Good morning, Creekside. I'm Mark. I'm one of the pastors here. Man, I, what a gift, what an honor to be worshiping with you guys this morning to be in this room and just saying together, great are you, Lord. Oh my gosh, it's just so important and so good for our souls to, to acknowledge that and say it and to say it together too. So welcome to all of you here. Um, welcome to those of you that are following along online. And um, if you're new, if I haven't met you yet, um, you're visiting with us, welcome. We're really glad to have you with us. Um, I would love a chance after the service to chat with you. I'll be out in the lobby. Um, and we also have a communication card, a connect card on the side there. And we'd love to have you fill that out. You can drop it in the offering box. And we'd love to just get you um, connected and just uh, figure out, you know, what is, what is Creekside all about? And, and who are you? And how can we connect and be a family together? Um, that's really what we are, is we are a family in Christ. And, um, and I'm just excited about what God is doing here and what he's going to do. Um, if you have your Bibles, open to John chapter 13. This morning, what we are doing is we are um, continuing on in our, uh, this summer, we're taking the time to, to sit in the book of John, in John chapters 13 to 17. And as a reminder, what, what that is all about is it's these five chapters that John devotes to the time that Jesus spent in this upper room with his disciples. So Jesus is just about to go to the cross. He's just about to offer himself as a sacrifice for all the people of the world to bring us to himself, to reconcile us to God. All this is just about to happen. But before it does, Jesus grabs his disciples, his followers, those that love him, those that have been following him, and he sits down and he has a meal, this Passover meal, this, this Lord's Supper meal together with them. And where we started um, last week, I'd like to kind of just invite us back into that space, invite us back into that room. And what we looked at last week was Jesus um, gathering them together. And before anything else happens, he, uh, everyone sits down, everyone's at the table, and Jesus puts on a towel, Jesus gets on his hands and knees, and Jesus washes the feet of all of his followers. And he says, I'm doing this for you, and I'm doing this as an example because I want you to do it to the people that are around you as well. And so here we, we start kind of in this um, this really like holy, sacred moment as Jesus is so, showing us something so deeply true about who he is and about what he's doing in this world by humbling himself and serving them. And you can just imagine now, we're picking up in that exact moment. Jesus has just washed their feet. And you can imagine the sort of stunned silence that must have been there as they're saying, okay, we've seen Jesus do a lot of crazy things over the years. Now we're seeing him gathering us together. Something is up. Something big is about to happen. And he starts on his hands and knees like a servant washing our feet. And you can just imagine them waiting to see what is Jesus going to say to us. And so I want to invite us back into this moment because this is a moment. Um, this is a, a passage about, it's a sermon about what happens when we get up from that table. When we're at the table with Jesus like that, everything is amazing and we're going to receive and we're going to hear and we're going to learn. But when we leave that table, Jesus is acknowledging right in that moment, things are going to go wrong. Things are going to be bad. Things are going to be heavy. Things are going to be more confusing for you. Things are going to be darker for you. And so he's acknowledging all of this. Before he says all sorts of beautiful things to the disciples, he first serves them by washing his feet, washing their feet, and then he lets them know, hey, things are not always as great as they seem right now. So let's start um, reading here in verse 17. We're going to pick it up exactly where we left off last week. Jesus says, after washing their feet, if you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. I'm not speaking of all of you. I know whom I have chosen, but the scripture will be fulfilled. 
He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. I'm telling you this now before it takes place, that when it does take place, you may believe that I am he. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one I send receives me, and whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. So here we start with Jesus washing their feet, explaining to them, look, I've done this. I wanted to be clear. I've done this because I want you to go out and wash other people's feet as well. And now Jesus is saying, look, if you know this, if you hear this, if, if you can understand what I'm saying, you're going to be blessed if you actually go and do it. And there's the recognition right off the bat that here I am, I'm Jesus. Right? You love me, you followed me, but I'm calling you to do some pretty degrading things. I'm not calling you to climb any ladders here. I'm calling you to serve. And he's saying, look, you can hear it and you can know it, but I'm just letting you know, I understand this is going to be hard for you. But there is such a blessing if you actually go out and you actually do this, become a servant, get on your hands and knees, serve the people around you, open yourself up to people that aren't going to love you back, that aren't going to reciprocate what you give them. Open yourself up to them, and you're going to find in that there's all sorts of blessing. There's all kinds of good. But it's hard. What, what I love about this is it's, it's a calling before the journey begins for these disciples. I mean, they've been following Jesus, but in some ways they had it easy, okay? Because Jesus was there, and if you, you, you just step where he's stepping, you walk where he's walking, he's like, today we're going over to Capernaum, and so you know, good, today we go to Capernaum. It's going to get harder for them because Jesus isn't directly there. And they don't have, when things get confusing, when things get hard, they don't have him to give them the pep talk or to like feed 5,000 people to reassure them, okay, yeah, no, no, this is still worth doing. They're going to be on their own. And so Jesus is at the outset of this journey calling them to, hey, think about what this is going to be like. And I think that's a good question for us to kind of ask, like, what do I expect on this journey? Because a lot of us have been in that position where you have this moment in time where you realize, man, Jesus is so good, Right? You have this moment where you're, maybe your sin catches up to you. Maybe you're like lost. Maybe you just look at the world around you and like, this is all gross. What I want is something better. And you see Jesus and you see that he's beautiful. But the question to ask is, okay, what do I expect then for it to be like when I follow Jesus? Because someone that's been following Jesus for a day has one experience, right? And someone who's been following Jesus for 20, 30, 40, 50 years knows a little bit more about how disappointing it can be, right? How frustrating it can be, how apathetic a heart can grow. And so at the outset asking, what do you expect from this? And here's, here's a question I've been asking myself in light of this passage. What do I expect of myself as a follower of Jesus? Because this is where things get harder and darker, and Jesus begins to acknowledge some uncomfortable truths, which is that he's about to be betrayed, the 12 that he chose, out of this 12 is going to come someone who's literally going to say, I don't want to follow you anymore, and beyond that, I'm actually going to hand you over to be imprisoned and ultimately crucified. What do I believe about myself as a follower of Jesus and what I expect of myself following him? Do I believe that I'm going to be the one that's the all-star, that's doing great, that never denies, that never forsakes, or do I have to wrestle with the thought that maybe when we leave the table— there's a lot more that happens here. And so here's Judas sitting at this table with Jesus. Jesus is acknowledging, like, I'm telling you that, that, that I'm not talking about all of you, right? You're blessed if you do this. I'm not speaking of all of you. I know whom I've chosen. I think Jesus is saying, you're so much, you're so blessed if you do. Set, follow the example that I set. You're so blessed in that. 
But look, I, I know this isn't quite all of you because I, I know you guys. I know I've chosen you. I know you guys, and I know this isn't going to be all of you. And I can see him kind of acknowledging, you know, th- this, this quotation of Psalm 41, all about someone who eats my bread, someone who shared my table that lifts his heel against me, someone that's going to betray me in my midst. And Jesus is saying, I'm, I'm preparing you. I want you to see that this is coming. And in verse 20, at the end there, he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one I send receives me. Whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. I, I love that phrase. It's, it's very like Jesus, you know, to say something like that. It feels like a riddle a little bit. But he's saying, okay, Jesus is sent by God. And so if we receive Jesus, we're rescinding God ultimately. And that part makes sense to me. That part I love. Jesus came from God. If I receive him, if I embrace him, if I serve him, I'm serving God. That makes a lot of sense to me. Jesus goes on and saying, whoever receives the one I send receives me. Jesus is saying, I'm going to send out these people into the world, my followers, and receiving them is the same thing as receiving me, which is the same thing as receiving God. There's this intimacy, this connection that Jesus is giving between his followers and himself that I would not be comfortable making that equation, if that makes sense. I would never say, hey, uh, invite me over to your house. It's like inviting Jesus over. Let's do this, you know. Um, Never, right? But Jesus is saying that. And and it's it's like a hospitality thing again, right? Last week, the washing of the feet, Jesus is showing us how to be the ultimate host. Come on in. I'm not going to expect anything of you. I'm going to get on my knees, and I'm going to serve you. And here he is again. I'm going to send these people out, and just receiving them is the same thing as receiving me. And I can just picture I can just picture Jesus is is hinting at Judas here. He's hinting at him, and he's seeing Jesus is saying, okay, get on your knees. Serve the people around you. Be willing to do that. Like, follow my example in that. And I think he can see Judas is there, and like, oh, I'm not going to serve these people. It's just been a chapter before this, and we didn't read it, but in John chapter 12, Jesus has just raised Lazarus from the dead. Jesus is at, um, at like, eating dinner with him, and uh, Mary, uh, Lazarus' sister, is there, and she pours this expensive oil on Jesus' feet, and she's serving him, and you see Judas just get all upset, like, whoa, what a waste, what a waste, let's not do this. Judas wasn't that into hospitality. He wasn't that into service. He was there, and it says he was even, like, stealing out of the money bag. So Judas is there, and Jesus is saying, here is my example, but look, not all of you are going to be able to follow this. Not all of you are ready for the kind of life that I'm actually calling you into. And so there's this place where we kind of catch our breath, and we see, okay, Jesus is there. We have to love him. We have to serve. Jesus calls us to welcome, embrace, and call in those that he sends out. And then here's the kicker. Who is Jesus going to send out into the world? It's not the superstars. There's no superstars ultimately at this dinner aside from Jesus himself. He's going to send out these people that ultimately are all going to walk away from him. So now, the next section talks about Judas. And before we talk about Judas, I just want to acknowledge it's been weird trying to write a sermon about Judas, okay? Judas is the worst, and we all know that. Um, and so how do, you, how do you do this? And so um, there's, a, there's a few things, I think, in our, our sense of who Judas is, okay? So let me, let me start here. This is, um, in, in N.T. Wright tells a story about, like, um, in Britain, there's these slaughterhouses, right? And they have these um, sheep that go to the slaughterhouse. But now, sheep are not the most intelligent thing in the world, but they can stand there at the ramp of the slaughterhouse and recognize something's not right about this place, okay? So they're at least that smart. 
And like, I mean, yeah, who's going to go up that sketchy ramp, right? So they, they, won't, they won't go in. They, they like, they consent, so they're not going to go in. So what the slaughterhouse people do is they raise a sheep at the slaughterhouse. They keep it there, a sheep or a goat, and it, um, it's there. And then what they do is when they bring in all these new sheep that need to be slaughtered, they send in the sheep that's comfortable there, befriends them, and then leads them up the walkway. And they think, well, if this guy's going, I'll go too. Do you know what they call that sheep? They call it the Judas sheep or the Judas goat. Is that messed up? Uh, go into the, uh, the Middle Ages, and Dante wrote his famous comedy, and there is his Inferno. And so he's exploring all the depths of hell and going down and down, and obviously this is fiction, but as he goes in, who's sitting at the deepest part of hell? It is, oh, oh, it is Judas, who is his punishment for his sin in Dante, this is obviously fictional, is he's being eaten by Satan for all of eternity. Uh, by Satan's middle head, on the side is uh, Cassius and Brutus who betrayed Caesar. I don't know how they got quite as low as Judas. But this is how, this is how Judas gets handed down to us. Sorry, that was really disturbing, but that's, that's it, right? Judas, man, like, like he's sitting there and he is the epitome of all evil, right? In, in like, we're just like this betrayer, this awful person. And as I'm reading this, I'm struck by how different this account feels than, than, than what I tend to think about Judas. So let's read verses 21 to 30. This is a narrative and it like sit in the story, see these things happening as though you're sitting in the room. So after saying these things, Jesus was troubled in his spirit and he testified, truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. The disciples looked at one another, uncertain of whom he spoke. One of his disciples, whom Jesus loved, was reclining at table at Jesus' side. So Simon Peter motioned to him to ask Jesus of whom he was speaking. So that disciple, leaning back against Jesus, said to him, Lord, who is it? And Jesus answered, it is he to whom I will give this morsel of bread when I have dipped it. So when he had dipped the morsel, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. Then after he had taken the morsel, Satan entered into him. Jesus said to him, what you are going to do, do quickly. Now no one at the table knew why he said this to him. Some thought that because Judas had the money bag, Jesus was telling them, buy what you need for the feast, or that he should give something to the poor. So after receiving the morsel of bread, he Im immediately went out, and it was night. So this section, all about Je Jesus is revealing, okay, it's Judas. And I feel like a few times in here, J Jesus is saying, like, guys, I'm going to be betrayed, and it's Judas. I'm going to be betrayed. Judas is the one, right? And yet here they are, and Jesus is saying these things, and what are the disciples doing? Like, who, who, who Jesus? Like, when are you going to betray me? I would picture, like, my view of Judas is they would be sitting at the table, and Jesus would be like, one of you guys is going to betray me, right? And like half of them were like, it's Judas, you know? Because they, like, they know, like, this guy's been a creep the whole time, and like, you know, like, he, but no, like, they're sitting there, and Jesus is just flat out, I'm going to be betrayed. One of you is going to do it. And no, they're like, who? Like, no, nobody would look at another person around that table, including Judas, and say, oh yeah, that's the guy, right? Something about the way that Judas acted, he played his role perfectly or, or something, right? But he's there and nobody had a clue. Even when Jesus is like, okay, all right, guys, I will give you a hint. It's the person that I'm going to dip the bread in the bowl and it's the person I'm going to hand it to. That's the one, right? Somehow Jesus does that and Judas takes the bread and they're like, who? Who is it, you know? So I... Makes us okay. Like, I, we're smart enough to be disciples, definitely, I think. 
but I just picture the, Judas is there, man, in these special moments, in these intimate moments with Jesus, with his disciples, in a way where nobody saw that he didn't fit in, nobody saw that his love was any less for Jesus than everybody else's. And he's there in this intimate scene where Jesus is just opening, opening himself up in love. Now, one interesting thing is, you know, I picture this meal kind of like um, uh, Leonardo da Vinci's Last Supper, and they're all kind of sitting at the table, and they're spread out. Um, it actually would have been, I think, more intimate than that, because what they did is they didn't have Western tables and chairs, so they kind of like lay at the table, which is like my kids' dreams. They love eating dinner on the couch. Here's like a fresco um, that shows what it would have been like at the time. It's just people just kind of like chilling, leaning on the arm, eating, talking. It's a more intimate kind of a casual thing. Here's, a, um, here's like a rendition of what it might have looked like. And I, I have to imagine there's a little bit less spooning going on in actual like life when they're doing it. But I think the point is, like, they're, they're all just in there together, you know? And so here's, like, the connection. Like, they're, they're laying there. They're close in together, right? They're, they're like, they can talk. Like, it, it, even when we are at a meal, we can lean back. But they're all here leaning in, and they're talking. And there's this interaction going on. And it's in this context. There's Jesus in the middle of it. I guess, technically, Jesus is, like, the second one from the bottom um, on the left side. But regardless, who knows where he actually was, Right? Jesus is there, and he's surrounded by all this love, right? He's opening himself up in love and intimacy. He's washed all these feet. He's there, all this love, these people that love him and that accept him, that embrace him, that see who he is, and he's also surrounded by betrayal. And to think that 11 of the people at that table loved him, followed him, pursued him, but one of them was going to flat out deny him, right? Um, turn him over. Another one, Peter was going to deny Judas, or Jesus, sorry. And, uh, and then all of them were ultimately going to run away from him. So here's Jesus, Jesus, opening himself up in love. And we know how this works because it happens in our own lives. You open yourself up in love to other people. And that all that does is give people the opportunity to then respond with rejection, right? So the people that hurt us the most are the people that we allow in the closest to who we are. And so there's this opening, there's this love. And then here's Jesus in the midst of this scene, opening himself up. I think sometimes as Christians, we think of uh, the, the persecution, the attacks. I think there's real persecution. In fact, in a, in a bit, we're going to read through a section of this upper room discourse where Jesus talks about persecution that's coming. I think we often think of it as external, and it's not hard to imagine, right? Look around you. We can see the world's dark, right? The world is um, different than the way Jesus wants it to be, right? what you watch on TV, what you hear on the news, what you experience when you go out and about. And so we, we, we picture all of the attacks that are coming from the outside. And so the church tends to become like a, a culture war type of a people where we say, okay, I'm going to reclaim what's right. I'm going to reclaim what's true. Let's, let's embattle ourselves in the church and fight these culture wars. But I think this intimate setting is a reminder that yeah, that, that's probably true of the outside world, and yet it also is true of who's sitting in this inner circle. It's true of who's at the table as well. And the war is not necessarily fought against those who are outside. The war is fought just all around and even within in these intimate settings. I don't know that we've gained much with the culture wars. I know that the call here is, is the, the, the warning here is it comes even from within. And what I love too is the way de Jesus deals with Judas is not how I would deal with Judas, right? I mean, Jesus could, Jesus is calling him out, he's exposing him, Jesus could just dunk on Judas here and be like, you know, you get out of here. But no, he's gentle, and he's 
patient, and he just washed Judas's feet, right? And he sends him out. I, I hear less anger and more sadness in Jesus' voice to say, hey, I, I love you. I've served you. Um, I've done powerful things through you even, probably, it seems. Jesus sent out Judas with the others. Go do what you have to do. And so we see then Judas goes out, goes out into the night, um, and he joins, like it says, Satan entered into him. Like, I, I think that's the, 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 Satan means accuser, and so the accuser has joined him. John's been pitching this whole battle from the beginning of gospel, John's gospel between light and darkness, and the light entered the world, but the darkness tried to overcome it, but it can't overcome it. So there's this battle, and Satan um, enters into Judas. Judas gives himself over to the accuser, to Satan, and he's saying, okay, I'm going to join this battle. I choose my side. I'm going to fight against Jesus and what he's calling us to do. And what's hard for me about that is just seeing, okay, if the disciples couldn't see actual Judas, the worst villain in the history of all villains, if, if the disciples couldn't see in Judas the opposition, I think we're going to have to expect ourselves that we are going to find people in our midst that are going to walk away. And some of the greatest, um, the greatest opponents of the faith, the greatest uh, people that speak the loudest against Jesus are people that were the most intimate with him at different times. And I think the call for us is to remember, okay, even when some leave, even when they go out, even when people that we've opened ourselves up to and have, we've loved will walk away, are we going to continue on? Are we going to be able to pursue? Or will we uh, follow along, keep following Jesus? And here's what I can't get away from. I, I wanna, what I want to do is I want to jump ahead in the next few verses here, 31 to 35, we're going to save. Uh, Pastor Nathan is going to preach on these next week. I want to jump ahead because what happens is I, it's easy to get upset at Judas. He is such an obvious villain to me. It's so easy to be like, yeah, don't be Judas. But here's the hard reality, is that in the next verses, in verse 36, Peter is going to deny Jesus. So he says, uh, Simon Peter says to Jesus, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered him, where I'm going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow afterward. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Jesus answered, will you? Will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. And so this to me is the reminder. It's easy to dunk on Judas and be like, man, that guy was the worst from the beginning. Like to, to portray him as Dante portrays him, all that, and it's probably super legitimate and probably as it should be. I don't know. But Judas is one thing, but recognize that Peter, who's like the strong one, who's the bold one that's saying that he was so certain, right? There was no doubt in Peter's mind that he would fight an army for Jesus. There was no doubt in, in Peter's mind, Lord, I will lay down my life for you. Jesus, I will die so that you can live, right? You can hear it in Peter's voice, the certainty and the passion, and yet P Jesus is like Peter, just give it a few hours and you're going to be sitting there and three different times you're going to say, I don't even know the guy, right? Peter couldn't do it. Every single disciple that was at that meal as Jesus bared his soul and talked about his love and his, his endurance and calling them to, to follow him, every single one of them was going to leave him by the side. And here I am and I read this. And it's been a weird week reading this and being like, man, Judas, Judas is the villain. And then I see, actually though, they're all kind of awful, Right? And I for, had like a hot second where it's like, I would never do that. And then I hear Peter's words in my mouth. I would never do it. Lord, I'll follow you now. I'll lay my, down my life for you. And I've got to hear Jesus just putting his hand on my shoulder and just saying, will you, will you lay down your life for me? 
Because here's the thing, man, the call to follow, the call to follow Jesus is so important. And I, I like, I get passionate about it. Man, I, I like, I feel like in a lot of ways I've given my life to following Jesus. I'm so far from perfect, but I'm passionate about like, let's follow, let's go this direction, let's do this thing. What Peter says when he says, Lord, I will lay down my life for you, like those would be great words in the, mouths of, in the mouth of Jesus, wouldn't they? Like, Jesus, I will lay down my life for you, Peter, right? But it's weird in Peter's mouth. Jesus, I will lay down my life for you. Jesus, I will die so that you don't have to die, right? It's, it's the exact opposite. That's what Jesus is about to do for Peter and for all of his followers. Jesus is about to do it not just for Peter at his best, right? But he's about to do it for Peter who's just about to deny him three times. And then Jesus is going to go onto that cross and he's going to die for Peter. And so I hear the call to myself to say like, okay, Mark, you're so sweet that you'd want to die for me. But listen, you can't do it. You're so weak. You're so, like, you're just like all the rest of them in your sweet, in your spirit. You want to do it. But no, you cannot save me. No, you cannot save yourself. And I hear Jesus saying, this is how it is. You, you, you might think that you'll die for me, but look, this is how it is and how it has to be. I need to die for you. I'm going to lay down my life so that you can live. And Jesus is saying these things, these reminders to a group of people that will leave him behind. And he's simply saying, look, this is what's about to happen. And you're probably going to be confused when it does. And you're going to be like, well, why did I just deny Jesus? I love him. I don't, why did I just run from him? I know what he's capable of. Jesus is saying, look, it's all going to happen and you're going to be confused. But I want you to know beforehand, I love you. And I'm laying my life down for you. I've washed your feet. I've made you clean. I'm going to lay my life down because this is how it works. I'm here to serve you. I'm here to save you. And all I'm calling you to is just keep getting back up and keep following me. Get rid of your pretensions that you're going to be the perfect disciple. Get rid of your thoughts that you're going to accomplish something huge for me. And just follow me. Live in the way that I live. Serve the people around you. Receive the ones that I send to you. Be gracious. Love. Pursue. And follow me. Man, it is such a good reminder that these disciples, Judas is an easy, uh, easy target. These disciples are broken and they're frail, and yet God accomplished some beautiful, amazing things through them. So what I want to do as we uh, process this, as I was listening to, or re reading this passage over and over and preparing these words, um, I was listening to a song, and I do listen to some weird music, so I'm just going to like throw that out there right away. Um, so there's this hour-long song, and that uh, we're not going to listen to all of it, but um, but I want you, Jimmy, if you don't mind playing it, this is um, this is from William Basinski. Okay, he's like a he's like a composer. It's called Disintegration Loops. I'm sure you guys are all going to go download this right afterwards. But he he makes this song, and I've been I've, I've been listening to it. I've been processing it as I'm studying, and as it went on, I began to see like a connection between the two. And it's this. So William Basinski, he was um, in like the early, like 1980-ish, he recorded a little piece of music off of the radio. And, uh, and you, you should know back in those days, you recorded it onto like tape. So um, ask someone older than you, they'll explain it to you. <clears throat> he recorded it off the radio on this tape, and he actually he slowed it down like a couple of speeds to kind of give it a more mellow feel. And he came up with this little thing. And what he did, so back in 1980, he recorded it. And he kind of, you know, made it into this sort of distorted thing. And he's like, this is kind of cool, but he, he didn't really like it that much because it was kind of, it was kind of clean. It was kind of bright. It was kind of too happy. And he just kind of put it on the shelf and it sat on his shelf for 20 years. 
And then 20 years later, he was in his apartment. This is the view from his uh, Brooklyn apartment when the planes crashed into the Twin Towers. And he could see all the smoke and everything coming from the Twin Towers. And somewhere in processing all of that, he pulled out these tapes again with this beautiful sounding song that he didn't really like because it was a little too perfect for him. And he pulled them out and what he found was that over 20 years, these tapes with this music looped on it, these tapes had begun to disintegrate. They kind of began, this happens to tapes, which is why digital is awful in its own way, but amazing in other ways. And he plays the tapes and he finds that in them disintegrating, there's like this haunting quality to the music now. And as he's playing it back, he's finding that every one of the tapes, and it's like an hour-long thing, every one of the tapes that he recorded it on had sort of disintegrated in a little bit different way. And he began piecing them together, putting it together into this thing. And as he's kind of watching the smoke in New York City, and as he's, as he's processing what he had just seen, he's realizing there's some beauty in the way that these kind of beautiful, this beautiful song had started to kind of fall apart and disintegrate. And as he pieced it back together, he found that, okay, there's something haunting, there's something sad, but there's also something that's a little bit hopeful, a little bit life-giving in the midst of it. And actually, that broken thing was actually in some ways better or more beautiful, more rich than just the pure, lovely thing that he had heard on the radio all those years ago and recorded and played. And so as I'm listening to this, this is my background music. You guys are like, what is going on with him? <laughs> um, you gotta listen. I just, I just have to, you have to listen to the whole hour to like really get what it's about, okay? <laughs> but as I'm listening, I'm picturing this beautiful meal. You know, Jesus with his disciples. And this is probably the most all out they went. Maybe, maybe the wedding at Cana at the beginning. I don't really know. But they're there and they're celebrating this beautiful moment and yet just realizing like in this party that Jesus has with his disciples, celebrating God's faithfulness, there's just all these broken people that are sitting around. And there's one that's pretty bad. And there's all the rest that are also pretty bad in a different way. And Jesus just is there in love, in grace. And not only is he gonna offer himself to die on their behalf out of love for them, he also is going to pick up the pieces of all of that. Peter is going to deny Jesus three times before Jesus is crucified. And then afterwards, Jesus will come back to him by the end of the book of John and come back and give Peter three times a chance to affirm his love for Jesus. And so Jesus lays down his life after they've scattered, lays down his life, and eventually gathers them back up, these broken, disintegrated people, all their lives kind of falling apart, kind of frail, and puts them together into this piece of music that is actually very beautiful and way more beautiful than any kind of sterile, cookie-cutter, stereotypical type of a thing. And I've been thinking about myself. And if I was sitting at that dinner, how would I respond? And what would I say? And I, I love the thought of some brokenness in the midst of this, recognizing that, man, performance was never the bar that God set for us, you know? Jesus didn't call the 12 because he's like, you guys are the ones that are going to do this perfect, you know? Jesus called 12 traitors to follow him. And he poured into them. And he knew that what was going to come. He, he knew what was happening. He's warning them because he knew what's going to happen. And he's still saying, these are the ones. These are the ones I'll send. These are the ones I'll use. And so what I want to do is, is I want us just to take a minute and, uh, and kind of take stock of ourselves at this table with Jesus and with his disciples. Okay? So I'm going to ask you to just close your eyes where you're at. And we're just going to kind of sit in this moment for a few minutes. And what I'd like you to do is just kind of take a breath 
try to get yourself in that scene. Picture yourself there. You're at the table. It's relaxed. It's intimate. Jesus has just washed your feet with everyone else's. And I'm going to ask you where you're sitting right now to actually put your hands out on your lap and, and put your hands palm, uh, palms down on your lap. And palms down, your, your, your hands are now facing down at the earth, facing down at yourself. And I just want you to kind of take stock of who you are now in your setting. And, and I want this to be a time of acknowledging before the Lord who you really are. Acknowledge your weaknesses. Acknowledge the betrayals. Is there a time over the last year, over the last five years, where you've betrayed the people that you've loved? You've betrayed Jesus. And I want you to sit in a minute with your palms facing down to just confess and acknowledge those things before the Lord. doubt any of us have to try that hard. But now I'm going to ask this. We're still kind of picturing ourselves in that room with Jesus, but I'm going to ask you to now keep your hands there, but turn your palms upward to the sky, upward towards God. And I'm going to ask you to consider as God looks down on you, how do you believe that he views you right now? Forget what you think about yourself and picture what does God think about me? you're tempted to think that God is angry with you right now. I'm just going to remind you, confess your sins and he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Picture yourself in that room with Jesus and his disciples and you're sitting there and your feet are completely clean because God himself in the person of Jesus Christ has got down on his knees and he's washed your feet. You're sitting there at a table with Jesus, the master and Lord, who's just told you that you're about to go and betray him eventually, but that it doesn't matter because it wasn't about your obedience, perfect perfection. It wasn't about how put together you were. It wasn't about how much you could accomplish. It was about his love for you. I want you to picture yourself sitting there at that table where just moments before, as we read the account John has told us that Jesus, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the very end. And I just want to picture, ask you to picture yourself at that table. And there's so much that God wants for you. There's so much that, that Jesus knows you're capable of, that he's calling you into. But I want us all to acknowledge before the Lord, with our palms facing up to the sky, acknowledge before the Lord that we are here to receive from him. It's his grace, it's his empowerment. We are never going to climb up to where he is. We're never going to live up to a standard. Jesus has done that for us, and he calls us into obedience and life and hope, but through his strength and not ours. It is not our love for God that is the firm foundation that establishes that relationship. It is his love for us. And so as we sit here like this and as we ponder this, I just want to ask you to imagine sitting here 
at the table with Jesus as he says, one of you will betray me. Peter, you're going to deny me three times. And imagine Jesus saying, hey, you're going to deny me three times. How will you respond to Jesus saying that? And I want to picture, rather than you saying to Jesus, Jesus, I'll lay down my life for you. Picture saying this instead with tears in your eyes. Lord, I'm sure you're right. You're always right. That's not what I want. I don't want to betray you, but I'm sure that I will because I can't be strong enough without you. And just imagine yourself saying to Jesus, would you please keep bringing me back to you every time that I stray? And then picture Jesus getting up from that table, walking out, laying down his life, and making that forgiveness, that peace, that acceptance real by dying and rising and defeating death. We're going to sing some more, but first let's just pray together. Lord, thank you for recording this moment, Lord, this very special moment with your disciples, and it's so heavy and hard, but Lord, it's just struck my heart so, with such a strong point this week. And that, Lord, I, I know there's so much you want to do through me. I know you're so delighted in my obedience to you, but also, Lord, just thank you for your love and your grace because I am so incapable of being what I even want to be, let alone what you call me to be. And so, Lord, for all of us here, Lord, may we open our hearts to you. Let us open our hearts to the love and service that you call us to. May we be okay with being wounded and abandoned because we know that ultimately, Lord, you are with us. Lord, would you speak into our hearts? May we be people that though we're broken, that though we're disintegrating, you're with us, Lord, and you're binding us together, beauty from ashes, making us into something that is so much more beautiful than we could compose ourselves. May we find in that brokenness, may we find hope and peace, and may we step by step follow and pursue after you. We pray this in Jesus' name.